Amen. All right. While they receive the offering, while they receive the offering, I want you to pull out this white card. When you came in, there was a white card on your seats. Did you guys have one of these on your seats? Everybody, you guys got these? Pull that out. I want you to write something on the card. You're going to write a name on the card, and then I'm going to guess the name that you wrote. Just kidding, I'm not going to do that. This isn't magic, man. This is, this is church, all right? All right, you're going to write a name. You're gonna, I'm gonna have, this is what I'm going to have you write on the card, all right? You got it out? Okay. I want you to answer this question. I want you to think of a person in your life that lives here locally. They live nearby. They live, um, you see them regularly. At least once a month you see this person. They're not a follower of Jesus. They don't know Jesus. And you would say this about them. Of all my friends that don't know Jesus, this is the one that I'm, I mean, I think, gosh, I don't know if they're ever going to become a follower of Jesus. Just between you and you, you're not going to share this with anybody, okay? But when you think about their life and where they are and what they believe and who they are, and you'd say, man, I just, I just don't see it, Josh. It, it's going to take an absolute miracle. I don't, even, I, can't even, I don't even know what God's going to have to do in their life in order to ever bring them to Christ. I, I just don't see it. So of all of your friends who don't know Jesus, who, who would you say, just between you and yourself, is the least likely to ever put their hope and faith in Christ. Write that down. Write it down. There's got to be somebody in your life that doesn't know Jesus. And you're just like, man, I don't know. If you knew what they were into, weird stuff, Josh. Write that down. Everybody got it? Good. Okay. Fold that up, put that away for a minute, and pull out your Bibles. Acts 18. Acts 18 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, and we are, this is kind of a little one-off series, we're, we are launching a brand new initiative uh, this morning here at Flourishing Grace that we're calling Train for One. Train for One. And at the end of the day today, I'm going to ask you to commit to praying two prayers Every single day. Um, praying for one is about praying two prayers. Now, this is not an idea. This initiative is not about becoming a greater prayer, which is a valuable thing, right? Developing a greater prayer life, that's a valuable thing. But that's not what this is about. One of our values here at Flourishing Grace is that we would be a people that live prayer-saturated lives. We, we want to grow in prayer. But that's not what praying for one is about. Um, praying for one is really about helping us, helping you, Become more obedient to fulfilling the great commission of Jesus. It's about helping you and it's about helping me become more aligning our hearts with what Jesus has called us to in his great commission. For those of you who don't know what the great commission is, it's found in the end of uh, Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, uh, Matthew writes this. I'll, just, I'll read it for you. Um, I'll read it for us so that we know what, what Jesus has called us to. If you are a follower of Jesus in the room, Jesus has, um, has spoken this to you. Okay? This is, this is the, what we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, starts in verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them... To observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. That, that is what we call the great commission 
of Christ, kind of the last words that he, that he passes on to his disciples and he passes on to his followers, to you and to me. He says, man, if you want to come after me, here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. To go out into the world and to make disciples. To teach them the things that I've taught you. To baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I know where I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. I'm, I'm going to be with you in this. And so today we're launching Praying for One. And Praying for One, I hope, is going to align our lives with the Great Commission of Jesus. And we're going to unpack this. We're going to unpack this from Acts 18. From Acts 18. And so if you would, if you're able, would you stand with me in honor and reverence of the word as I read it for us this morning from Acts 18? We're going to pick it up in verse 5. Acts 18, verse 5. A little bit of backstory real quick. I forgot. So Paul left Athens, Greece, and has arrived in Corinth, the city of Corinth. Corinth is notorious for the Roman Empire. as a place of kind of debauchery, idol worship, craziness, just a wicked place. And so Paul is there preaching the gospel. Silas and Timothy show up, and this is where, our, this is where we're going to pick it up in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia... Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of God, was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on I'll go to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus. A worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching them the word of God among them. But when Galileo was the proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O oh Jews, I would, have, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since this is a matter of words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them out of the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a grab a seat. Now, some of you who are following along and listening, which is hopefully all of you, uh, are asking the question, what in the world does that have to do with the Great Commission? There's nothing even in there about praying, praying for one. What, you, what is going on here? Um, I believe this is just an unbelievably beautiful text. And here's what I want us to see this morning from this text. I want us to see um, the weight of the Great Commission on Paul's life, which should be the same weight as the, for you and me, the weight of the Great Commission on his life, I want us to see um, his duty and the responsibility to fulfill it and your duty and your responsibility to, to be one who fulfills it. And then God's role, God's duty, God's position in fulfilling the Great Commission. So the weight of it, 
your role, my role in it, and then God's role in it. That's one of the three things we're going to look at this morning. So first, the weight of it. Paul feels the weight of what God has called him to. God has specifically called Paul to be the one who brings the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus has made a way back to God, that he is restored and redeemed by the blood of the sacrificial lamb. He died in our place. He rose from the grave so that we would not have to die. Now we can draw near to him, cleansed and purified. We just sang all about it. He is proclaiming the gospel to the Jews in Corinth, the Corinthian Jews. And Paul feels the weight of this great commission, the need for them to do this. Paul realizes that every single time that the gospel is is spoken, given, or received, it's a matter of life and death. In fact, it's beyond life and death. It's a matter of eternal joy and eternal peril. Paul feels the weight of this. When, when, when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, he's saying, men, we, we're going to rescue them from eternal peril and we're going to bring them into eternal joy. There is an unbelievable weight to this. And Paul is engaging with everything he has and, and, it, and it gets frustrating at times. It's it hard at times. Paul, Paul is in wading into these, these Corinthian Jews at the synagogue. He's telling them about, about the gospel. He's extending the gospel. He says, come on into eternal joy. Come away from eternal peril. Let me, let me give you, tell me you about Jesus. And they're not having it. He says that they're opposing him and reviling him. And so Paul says, fine, fine. I shakes off his garments. He says, I'm not having anything to do with this. I don't want the dust of this on me. I, I'm, I'm out. And he says this. He says, your blood is on your head. Your blood is on your head. You want to commit spiritual suicide? Go for it. I'm out. Your blood's on your head. Now here's the question. When Paul steps out, he says, your blood's on your head. The question is this. Well, who, where was the blood before it was on their head? Paul's hands. Paul's hands. The weight and the responsibility of the Great Commission was on Paul. Paul was called to be one who extended the love of Christ to the Jews in Corinth. You are one who is called to extend the love of Christ to your neighbors, to your friends, to your coworkers. It's on us, it's on our hands. This, this weight of, of infinite joy versus infinite peril. We are to be a people who wade into this. Not run from it, but wade into it. The blood is on our hands. We must engage. We must move towards our neighbors. We must move towards our friends. This is not an option. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, actually in the letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 9.16, he says it this way. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul says this. He says, listen, I, I don't get anything for this. This is what I'm called to do. I, I, if I preach the gospel to 10,000 people, I can't brag about that. I'm just doing what Jesus has called me to do. Woe to me if I don't do it. 
Woe to me, not to them. Woe to me if I do not engage, if I do not wade into this. There was a weight upon every follower of Jesus to wade into those who are living in the bounds of infinite joy and infinite peril. One of my secret uh, bucket list items won't be a secret for much longer. I'm about to tell you what it is. Um, but it is kind of weird. This is one of my goals in life. One of my life goals is to EpiPen somebody. I said it's weird, but I really want to do it. Bob knows this. Whenever I go on a missions trip, whenever I'm on a backpacking trip, stick me next to the guy that's got the peanut allergy. Like, I got dibs on that, man. Like, nobody else is taking this from me. Don't rob my joy, all right? Now, I'm not, like, super sadistic. I'm not, like, shoving peanuts down his throat. I'm not, I'm not going there. I just, just put me next to him and tell me where the pin's at in case something goes down. All right, if something ever happens here, okay, just wait. Come find me. I'm, I'm game. I'm in all day long. Like, it's just, it just on the list. Like, what other, what other time in life do you get to stab somebody and people applaud you? They're like, that was awesome. Thank you for doing that. Like, it's amazing. I really want the opportunity someday. It's going to come. I know. Yes, that's right. That's right. We took a guy to India uh, who had a peanut allergy, and we had to work next to a peanut field. I was praying the entire time that something was going to go down. It never did. Um, but I was ready. I was ready. Um, so so here, here's the thing. So let's just say, let's just say someday you come across a guy or, or a gal that has the peanut allergy, and they've, they've stumbled into some peanuts. I don't know how, right? They just, it just happened. Um, and they, have, they, 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 are, they are suffocating in front of you. They cannot breathe. And then there's, they, they're, they're, they're turning blue, and they, they need help. And there's the EpiPen. It's like laying right there. They just, they just didn't have the energy to, to get it done. And, and you pick it up. This is the coolest thing ever. I'm just going to hang on. I just want to hang on to it for a little while. I just want to put it away for a little bit. I, maybe somebody else is going to need it someday. And so I'm just going to hang on to it. And they'll be fine. They'll be fine. No, don't worry. You're fine. You're a little blue around the lips, but you're fine. Don't worry about it, right? No, you stab them with it. That's what you do because you're a human being. And, and, and this is a very simple, simple thing. You have the cure in your hand. All you got to do is just stick them in the leg. If you can't do it, find me. I'll do it. I'll take care of that for you. And with a little bit of statistic joy. Um, every single day, friends, every single day, we walk around with neighbors, friends, and coworkers who are spiritually suffocating. And we have the cure in us. Christ has given you the cure to spiritual suffocation. He's given us the, pure, the cure for eternal, for eternal peril. He's given you, you walk around with it every single day. It's, it's, it's in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, and I know not everybody in the room is, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the cure for an infinite disease. Paul says, woe to me if I don't extend that cure to others. This isn't something that we get to, get, get, get to boast about. Look, look, look how many people I preach the gospel. No, no, woe to me if I don't do it. Because they're literally dying in front of you every day, all day. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, family members. Woe to me if, if I walk on by. J.I. Packer in his 
um, amazing work, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it. He, he writes this about uh, our role in evangelism and this weight that sits on us. He says, this, he says, evangelism is the inalienable responsibility of every Christian community and every Christian person. That's you, by the way, and us. We are all under orders to devote ourselves to spreading the good news and to use all of our ingenuity and enterprise to bring it to the notice of the whole world. The Christian, therefore, must constantly be searching his conscience, asking himself if he's doing all that he might, all that he might be doing in this field. For this also is a responsibility that cannot be shrugged off. You can't shrug this off. Jesus has laid this on you. If you're a follower of Christ, you say, man, I'm in. Jesus is the ruler of my heart. You can't shrug this one off. He has laid it on you. And we must search our conscience. You want to search your conscience? You want to know if, you are, if you're doing a great job of this? Ask yourself this question. In the past week, how many people have I shared the love of Jesus with? If you have to think about that for more than two seconds, you've shrugged it off. How many people in the last week, how, what person in the last week have you shared the love of Christ with? If you have to think about that for more than two seconds, you've shrugged it off. We must search our conscience and say, man, am I doing a good job or have I shrugged this off? Have I made this a small thing? Have I made this unimportant? Have I walked by? Have I walked past people who are spiritually suffocating and said, oh, it's okay. They'll be fine. Now, some of you might say, but Josh, Paul walks off. Paul dusts off his garments and says, I'm out. Blood's on your head, not on my hands now. I'm out of here. Paul walks off. Or does he? Or does he? Look, look, at, look at the next verse. So in verse, verse 6, he, he says, blood's on your he heads, not on mine hands. In verse 7, he says this. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, that's a follower of Jesus. His house was next door to the, what? Synagogue. He moves in next door. He says, I'm out of here. I'm going to the Gentiles. And then he moves in next door to the synagogue. He doesn't leave. He's just frustrated, man. He's like, I'm trying to rescue you from eternal peril, and you're not listening. I'm out of here. But the weight of the Great Commission is too heavy for Paul. The weight of their suffering is too heavy for Paul. He knows that they're spiritually suffocating, and he has the cure. So he's like, I can't leave. I just need a new strategy. I need to rework this. I need to rework my, my ingenuity. I need, I need to think about how am I going to approach this. And so he moves in next door to the synagogue. And then look at the next line. Verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, the, the Jew of all Jews, the, the Corinthian Jew of all Jews in Corinth, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord Jesus together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Paul says, I can't escape this. i got to re-engage. i got to figure out a new way. i got to figure out a new way. I'm just going to move in next door. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't leave. He goes deeper. He draws closer. He says, I'm in this. This is what God has called me to. I'm moving towards it. I'm giving myself to this. This is what we're going to do. 
Now, if we stopped here, if this was the end of our text, and we just kind of walked away, all my type A friends in the room would be like, yeah, let's go get them. Let's go do this. And you'd fail miserably, right? All of, all of my, all of my uh, less type A, all of my, my introverts in the room would say, ah, uh, that's, that's not me, though. Like, I don't, I don't really talk to people, Josh. That's kind of my thing. I just don't talk to people. Um, I, don't, I don't really know how to speak to other human beings. That's not that's just not me. Uh, I don't have the thing to say. I don't, I don't know what to say when, when, when that moment arises. I, it's just not who I am, right? And there's just so many people anyways that don't know Jesus. Um, it's just overwhelming. I don't know where to start with all of that. And that's fair, and that's actually true, right? If it's all on us, if it's all on you, um, that's actually true. You are unable, the type A friends are unable to actually do any good in this arena, in my, in my introverted friends, yet you will fail in this. You're not, you're not going to get it done, right? You're going to be overwhelmed and scared, freaked out of your mind. An anxiety attack um, is going to come to you uh, if it just ends there. But it doesn't end there. This is in the end of the passage. Something happens in Corinth, and we're not quite sure. We're not told what happens. But Paul begins to get nervous. I, I think we can assume that all of these Jews becoming Christians, all these Jews becoming followers of Jesus, um, does something in the, other, in the Jewish community in Corinth. They begin to get frustrated and angry with Paul. They begin to threaten Paul. Paul gets a little scared. And Jesus shows up to Paul in a vision, in a dream. Look at, look at verse uh, 9. In the Lord, that's Jesus, said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. Right? The Great Commission. Great Commission is not go make disciples, figure it out on your own. The Great Commission is go make disciples, teach them to obey everything I've taught you, and behold, I'm with you always. Jesus reminds Paul, I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have, listen to this, I have many in this city who are my people. That's crazy. Do you, you feel that? Jesus says to Paul, listen, don't worry about it. I've got this. I have many people in this city who are already mine. They don't know it yet. You don't know who they are, but I've got them. And I'm going to use you, Paul. I'm using you. You are the tool that I'm going to use. You are the instrument I'm going to use to bring them into eternal glory. They're going to share in my glory. I've already got them. They're already mine. Don't worry. Keep going. Keep pressing on. This changes everything. When we realize that Jesus has literally scattered the jewels of eternity throughout your everyday life. It changes everything about how we search. In 2010, a guy by the name of Forrest Finn. Forrest Finn was a uh, retired fighter pilot for the military. He retired and he became an antique dealer, a very wealthy antique dealer, by the way. Um, and Forrest Finn decided in 2010 that he was going to hide a treasure. He got a bl bronze box and he filled it 
With 1.5, it's estimated between 1.5 and $2 million worth of gold and jewels. And he hid it somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. Somewhere between New Mexico and Montana. He hid this bronze box. And he wrote a poem. And he says that everything, that is, everything you need to know about finding this box is in the poem. The poem is littered with clues on how you can find my box. And he published the poem. And people have been freaking out ever since. People, you can go online and you can find page after page after page after page of people talking about all the clues in the poem and what they think the different clues mean. And they're just trying to decipher the poem. And all the places that they search, you can find all these YouTube videos of people who are walking around in the woods looking for Forrest Finn's treasure. And in the spring of this year, 2018, Forrest Finn said, I have confirmed the box is still where I left it in 2010. He knows where people have searched because people have told him. He says people have been within 200 feet and they still haven't found it. It's still there. It's estimated that almost 400,000 people have gone looking for Forrest Finn's treasure. Some people have died in the process. There's been five recorded deaths of people who have died looking for his treasure. And it's still out there. Somewhere in the Rocky Mountains, there's a poem that you can get online to go find it. Now, if I were to tell you, after the gathering today, I'm going to go to my house, and I'm going to do a treasure hunt in my backyard. I got a bunch of shovels. We're just going to start digging. Maybe we find something. Anybody in? Anybody in? Just come, just come start digging in my backyard. It'll be a fun afternoon. We'll just dig for buried treasure. You never know. You never know what you could find. Nobody? Huh. But if I say, hey, there's a box with 1.5 to $2 million in the woods, and here's clues, 400,000 people show up to go do it. When you know it's there, when you know the treasure's there, it changes how you look for it. It changes how we search. Suddenly there's, there's an energy. Suddenly there's, there's an excitement. Suddenly there's a willingness to pursue. Friends, what Jesus said to Paul and what Jesus is saying to you and me is that he has scattered the jewels of eternity throughout your everyday lives. They're all around you constantly. When you leave your front door, they're around you all the time. It's the baristas at Starbucks, the waiters in your favorite restaurants, your coworkers at work, your neighbor down the street mowing his yard. It's the family members in your own house. He has scattered them throughout your lives. Random people that you meet in the street, the guy at the gym that you befriended, they're everywhere. And he wants you to be the one that finds them. Keep on going, Paul. Don't give up. I put the treasure right in front of you. All you got to do is just go get it. I've already accomplished everything. They're already mine. They're already mine. Just go get them. It's there for the taking. It's there for the taking. Go after it. J.I. Packer, in that same work, Evangelism Sovereignty of God, puts it this way. He says, while we must always remember that it is our responsibility to proclaim salvation, it's on us, blood's on our hands, we must never forget that it is God who saves. It is God who brings men and women under the sound of the gospel. And it is God who brings them to faith in Christ. Our evangelistic work is the instrument that he uses for this purpose. But the power that saves is not in the instrument. It's in the hand of the one who uses the instrument. 
I said at the beginning that praying for one is really about praying two prayers every single day. The first prayer is this. Every single day, this is what I want to challenge you to. This is what I want us to commit to today. This is what I want you to commit to today before God. The first prayer is this. God, I believe that there are many people in my life today that are already yours. But they don't know it yet. Would you give me one person a day to share the love of Christ with? Simple. Father, would you give me one person today to share the love of Christ with? Jesus, give me one person today to share your love with. Would you just bring them into my life? I know that they're everywhere. I know that there's so many people in my life that I'm going to engage today. Dozens of people that are already yours. Would you bring one of them into my life? Would you give me an opportunity to share your love with one person today? Friends, that prayer will change your life. It'll change your life. And it'll transform eternity for many. For many. Give me the chance today to breathe life, to extend the gospel to someone. I know you've already done the work. Use me today as the instrument to engage one person. Let me epipen them with the gospel. Come on. Now, there's a second prayer that we'll get to in a moment. Now, from there, right, God shows up. Jesus shows up to Paul. He says, listen, everything's going to be fine. Nobody's going to lay a hand on you. Nobody's going to hurt you. And I have many people in the city who are my people. So it all goes well, right? It's just smooth as butter from there on. Thousands of people in Corinth come to know Jesus. No. You know the Bible? It doesn't go that way. Paul gets arrested in like the very next line. He stays there for a year and six months, and then he gets arrested. The Jews like get a mob, and they bring him in. Look at verse 12. But when Galileo was proconsul of, 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 Achaia, of Achaia, the Jews, which is like the region of Greece, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. So there is some sort of fruit going on. There's some sort of success going on. And the Jews are ticked. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or some vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since this is a matter of questions about words, names, and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them out of the tribunal. And they seized, listen to this, they seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. All right, listen, so a little bit of a recap, okay? So here's what happened. The first ruler of the synagogue in Corinth was Crispus. Remember that? Crispus becomes, Crispus, not Christmas, Crispus becomes a follower of Jesus, gives his life to Christ. Then uh, Jesus shows up to God, makes this promise, nothing bad's going to happen to you, which it doesn't, right? Paul's freed. Galileo says, I got nothing to do with this. I, get get out of here. Paul leaves Corinth. Paul leaves Corinth, and he goes back to Antioch in the very next line. He leaves. He's like, I'm out. But God also promised, God also promised that there were many people in that city who were already his people. Where are those people? Where are they? What's the story on that? 
right? So, so, so they bring Paul in. Um, the Galileo says, get out of here. Paul leaves. They grab Sosthenes, the new ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him. They're like, because they're embarrassed, right? They're, they're embarrassed. Like they just, they just brought this whole mob of Jews to the ruler of this whole entire region. And they, say, they present Paul, and he's like, get out of here. They're embarrassed. They grab Sosthenes. They beat him up. But what about all the followers of Jesus? What about all these people that, 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 that Jesus says, man, I got many people in the city who are my people. Where are they? Well, we don't know the whole story. We're not given that. But we are given a piece of it. For those of you who got your Bibles, I want you to flip over to 1 Corinthians 1. It's easy to find. You just flip over. Uh, you're in Acts. You're going to go to Romans. And then after Romans is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1. And I want us to read this together out loud, if you would read this with me. So if you don't have your Bible, I'll have it up here on the screen. So let's, let's read this out loud together. Here we go, ready? Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother. Brother Sosthenes. The ruler of the synagogue that organizes a mob to arrest Paul becomes a follower of Jesus. Not just a follower of Jesus, he becomes a leader within the church in Corinth. And he helps pin the first letter to the Corinthian church with Paul. I have many people in the city who are my people, Paul. I already got them. All you got to do is just be faithful. Pull out that piece of paper, that note card that you wrote that name on when you came in. Here's what I want you to do. Just tear that garbage up. There's, there's nobody. There's nobody beyond the reach of God. There is nobody. If you can read Sosthenes, the, the ruler of the synagogue, who arrests Paul, wants to get him thrown in prison, if you can reach him and bring him to a place where he's the, one of the leaders in the Corinthian church, there's nobody in your life that's beyond his reach. There's not one neighbor, there's not one friend, there's not one coworker, there's not one acquaintance who is beyond his reach. And that brings us to the second part of praying for one. So the first part is Jesus, give me someone today to share your love with. The second prayer is this. Jesus, give me the opportunity to share your love with blank. This is a specific person. Somebody in your life that you are engaging with on a regular basis that does not know Jesus yet. And you would give anything for them to know Jesus. It doesn't have to be the person you wrote on the, on the card. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be the person, that person's name. But a person that you love. A person that you cherish. A person that you care about. That's what this wall is all about. This praying for one wall. This wall is a place for those names. So that we can join together in prayer. That we can be reminded that God is doing a work amongst us. That there's nobody, there's nobody that's outside of his reach. That he has many people in our lives every day that are already his. And so the wall is a place where we can write the person's name. And we say, this is the one. This is my one. I'm going after this one. I'm going after this one. I'm committing my life to going after this one. 
I'm praying, I know you have many people in my life who are already yours. I'm praying that this one is one of them. Would you, would you use me as the instrument to reach them? Would you use me as the instrument to lead them out of eternal peril and bring them into eternal joy? I, you've already done the work. It's all in Christ. Use me as the instrument to do that. This is the one that I would ask for. I'm committing my life to going after them. There's four rules to this wall. Four rules. The first is that they have to be local. This has to be somebody. This is not your, your great aunt Sue or your uncle Ron that lives in Albuquerque. That's not who we're talking about. Pray for them. But that's not who is going on this wall. These are people who live here. You see them at least once a month, hopefully at least once a week, maybe even every day you see them. You work with them. You go to the gym with them. You, you engage in life with them. And they don't know Jesus yet. Yet. And you'd say, man, of all the people in my life that don't know Jesus, this is the one that I'm committing to. That's the second piece of this. We are committing our life to them. We're saying, I'm going after them. I'm going after them. I'm chasing and pursuing them. I'm taking every opportunity I have. And so we're committing before God to pray for this person as best we can every single day. You get one name of a local person that you're committing to pray for every single day. One name, one person. I know some of you are like, but I got 10. You cannot invest fully in 10 people. You get one spot, one name, one person. And then when they become a follower of Jesus, you got to let us know so we can celebrate that together. That's it. So it's every week, every day, every single day, we get up in the morning. And we get dressed. And as we walk out the door, as we walk into our office, as we go about our lives, we pray two prayers. Give me one person today to share your love with. Share the gospel with. Give me an opportunity to engage in the life of blank for the sake of their eternal glory, that they might know Christ, that they might be freed from their sin and cleansed of it. In a minute, I'm going to have us walk over and write that person's name on the wall. You just find a spot. Just write their name. If you don't have a name yet, that's okay. Stay where you are. If you don't feel like you're ready to make that commitment yet, to pray for somebody every single day, to go hard after one person, that's okay. Just stay where you are. But for those of you in the room who have that person in your life, you say, I would give anything for them to know Christ. I'd give anything to walk with them in eternity. Put their name on that wall so we can begin pray with, praying for them regularly and often. That God would give you the opportunity to engage in their life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we stand before you and your gospel, blown away. Blown away by its, by its unending reach. There is no one that you cannot rescue. There is no one that you cannot redeem. There is no one that you cannot restore. Your blood covers all sin. It is able to cleanse all people. And I am confident that there are many people in this city... Davis County, they're already yours. You scatter the jewels of eternity throughout our lives. And the weight of the good, Great Commission calls us to go searching, 
for the work that you've already achieved. It's right there. And so might we be a people who commit before you today to pray for one, one person every day to share your love with, and one specific person in our life that we so long to come to know the sweet beauty of the gospel, that would come to treasure you above all else. For those of us in the room who are trying to think of a name, or maybe trying to decide between a few different names, I pray that right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would put a name in their soul so deep they can't shake it. A weight of the Great Commission so heavy they can barely bear it. And they would look at their hands and they would say, man, the blood of this person, this name, it's on my hands. I'm going after it. By the power of the gospel, through the work of the Holy Spirit, I'm going after it. Burn that name into our minds. Reveal to us. Say, say, tell us, show us, I have this one for you. It's already mine. Go after him. Go after him. Help lead them into a flourishing relationship with Jesus. I've already done all the work. Go get them. And when it's not easy, I pray that you would give us the resolve to move next door. Literally. For some of us, that might be it. Man, we just pick up and we just sell our house. We move next door. We change our careers to draw near to them. We change our habits in order to see them more often. We use all of our ingenuity, all of our might, all of our strength to bring them to glory. They're already yours. Help us to see this more clearly. I pray these things in your name. Amen.